name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. He is and always shall be. St. Paisio said, So read the Fathers, even one or two lines a day. They are very strengthening, vitamins for the soul. The writings of the Fathers of our Church are genuine spiritual nourishment, and they lead safely and unmistakably down the spiritual path. I came across several quotes in the past several weeks, and um, I wanted to include them in my homily this morning, but I, I wasn't skilled enough to weave them in. So I, could, I couldn't pass them by, and I think that they will set the stage, so to speak, or maybe prime the pump for our reflection today. The first one is from St. Paisios again. Ask for repentance in your prayer and nothing else. Nothing but repentance. Repentance will bring you humility. Humility will bring you the grace of God. And God will have his, in his grace everything you need for your salvation. Or anything that you might need to help another soul. Beware these two thoughts, says St. Silouan the Athenite. Beware these two thoughts and fear them. The first thought suggests you are a saint. The other, you will not be saved. Both come from the enemy, and there is no truth in them. Instead, think to yourself, I am a great sinner, but the Lord is merciful. He loves man with a great love and will forgive my sins. Believe in this way, and you will see. The Lord will forgive you, but put no faith in feats of your own, however much you may have striven. Thus God has mercy on us, not for our achievements, but graciously because of his goodness. And from St. John of Kronstadt, Love every man in spite of his falling into sin. Never mind the sins, but remember that the foundation of the person is the same, the image of God. It would be tempting to just drop the mic there with his beautiful words. But the church has placed this beautiful gospel, this short but powerful gospel, in our lives at this time of year for a great purpose. By the context of where we find it in Luke, we see that it was on one of the stops that Jesus was making on, on his way, on his journey, his last journey, from Galilee up to Jerusalem. It was on one of his stops on his way to his life-giving and saving passion. And today is really a stop on our way to participating again more deeply in that life-creating and saving passion of our Lord. Lent is now a few weeks away, and this gospel presents to us a clear theme that we can use to pack our bag as we get prepared for this journey. This gospel presents to us two broken people, one who is honest with himself and one who is not. It's short enough, please forgive me, I'd like to read it, but with one extra verse, which is the pre previous verse, which tells us exactly why it's here. 
to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. In many of the parables of Christ, the deeper meaning was hidden, and it took Christ to explain the meaning to his disciples. But here, we have an obvious theme, and the theme is humility. Because humility is what we need most to begin and to continue to follow Christ. Humility is that characteristic which is available to us as something that most allows us to emulate our Savior, that which we are called to. The church puts this gospel here so that we can think on humility and begin to enter into it so that we can get ready for Great Lent. Now, Great Lent is an intensification of our efforts at following Christ. It's a season of our repentance. And this is our repentance, to humble ourselves like our Lord, to emulate him and follow him. Humility is the way of Christ. Humility is the way of the cross. And that is what we intend to follow. If we are to follow Christ, if we were to fulfill our purpose, if we are to take up our crosses and follow him, if we are to become more like him, we must follow his example. St. John, the theologian, says in his epistle, he who abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. So as we read this gospel, it's very clear who the good guy is and who we are to emulate. There are at least two hymns in the Orthros this morning which says very clearly that you must emulate the tax collector. Now this parable would have been completely shocking to its hearers in the day because back then the world was divided very neatly into two groups, sinners and the righteous, at least according to the Jewish mind. They knew who sinners were. They were, as they said, they're extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, fornicators. There are several lists of these in the scriptures. And tax collectors were included in this list of sinners. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other teachers of the law and the leaders of the synagogue, well, they were the righteous. And I suppose everybody else thought of themselves as something in the middle. But it's not until the teaching of Christ and the teaching of St. Paul where we've come to think, well, we're all sinners. So it's not uncommon to hear the people in the, in the Gospels' accounts saying, oh, Jesus has gone into the house of a sinner. Doesn't he know that he's gone into the house of a sinner? Because the world was very black and white. Sinners and righteous. And everybody was trying to be in the righteous column, except for the sinners. Now, this 
parable should be shocking to us as well. If we look closely and are honest with ourselves, Jesus is telling us to be like the tax collector. We really don't want to be like the tax collector, the one who is cast down, who is beating his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is not who we really want to be, if we're honest. We don't want to beat ourselves up. We want to feel good about ourselves. Really, wouldn't we really rather be more like the Pharisee? Maybe not in every way like the Pharisee, but we want to know what we're supposed to do and do it. We want to check off all the boxes like he did. Well, he prays, he fasts, he gives alms, give alms. And aren't these the things that we're called to do that characterize the Orthodox Christian life? Aren't these the things that we're called right now to begin to increase in our lives? We were raised and immersed in a culture of self-esteem. Humility is generally not considered a virtue. At best, humility is considered quaint or cute. But it's usually considered a weakness. And yet this is what we are called to. And we know this. We know that humility, the kind of humility that is being shown by the tax collector, the sinner, we know that's what we're supposed to enter into. But it's far easier to be like the Pharisee and not look too deeply at ourselves. It's easier to succumb to the temptation to look around and see others. We want to feel good about ourselves. That's the nature of our, our culture. That's what we've been trained to do. We really long to feel okay. And we can look around and see other people. And we can find them, them that are doing things that will make us feel like we're okay. It is not comfortable for us probably to admit that we are more like the Pharisee than we would like to think. How many of us have looked at others and questioned their motives, looked at others and judged their behavior, and at the same time somehow had a self-satisfaction that we were okay because we weren't doing those things? Just, just to point out the sins of others means that we are somehow saying that we're better. Somehow we are, are not in the, in the cares of that. So why would we want to do this? What would motivate us to really be like the tax collector? To do the hard and uncomfortable work of self-examination and repentance? Is following Christ just for some future goal of salvation or some reward we expect to receive in the future? I think for most of us that is not enough for us to live in the day-to-day. -day. While it is our hope that we will in fact be saved, we need more to help us do what we need to do. But it says in the Gospel what our motivation is. It says about the sinner, about the tax collector, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted. When we open up 
and pour out our hearts to God, when we take a good and honest look at ourselves, and when we begin to do that hard work of repentance, which sometimes will feel for us like beating ourselves up a little bit, when we take up our cross this way and follow Christ, this is where he meets us. He meets us with comfort. He meets us with consolation. He meets us with forgiveness. And he meets us with his infinite love. And we can go from beating our breasts in repentance to joy in his love and his care for us. Psalm 50 says, A sacrifice unto God is a broken spirit. A heart that is broken and humbled, God will not despise. A broken heart is what we present to God so that we can be healed. Peter and James in their epistles both quote one of the Proverbs saying, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the promise that we get for our repentance. That when we humble ourselves, when we humble ourselves, God meets us and he lifts us up. He consoles us and he heals us. It is in and through humility that we become our best selves. Our best selves, though, are only found in Christ. That is where we can truly feel good about ourselves. Perhaps somewhat strangely, I find comfort in a word that was given to St. Silouan. You're probably familiar with this small word. Keep your mind in hell and despair not. It doesn't sound very encouraging. Keep your mind in hell and despair not. But I was reminded of this word um, as I approached this gospel. Now, it is a word given to St. Silouan, and not every word given to every person, especially saints, is for all of us. But since St. Sophroni has passed this word onto us almost as a teaching, I would like to look at it for just a moment. For me, it's been rather baffling, and I've, I've, I've avoided really paying much attention to it. What does it mean? Keep your mind in hell and despair not. But as I was reading St. Sophroni, um, despite how discouraging it sounds, it really is very, very uplifting. What does it mean to put our mind in hell? Well, the tax collector might know something about that. With our mind in hell, we realize that nothing good or virtuous, virtuous is in us that we can claim as our own. There's nothing good in us that was not given to us by the giver of all that is good. Everything that is good in us is a gift from the source of goodness, our loving God. To be in hell is to be confronted with our sin and all of our passions. No covering up, no trying to be comfortable. And hell, we might say, is repentance. Repentance is hell, or a little piece of it. This is what it means for us to keep our minds into hell, to enter deeply into repentance. And what does it mean to despair not? 
Well, to despair not means to do the opposite of despair. And what is the opposite of despair? To rejoice. Our perfect and loving and forgiving God will and has taken away our unworthiness, and he is making us like himself. So if we keep our mind in hell and despair not, if I'm not oversimplifying, it is to do the deep work of repentance and rejoice in the goodness of our Savior. And where does this work ha happen? This deep repentance and self-examination, this beating our breast, in the privacy of our own prayer corner, or wherever we pray, whenever we are with God, we bear our hearts and souls to him. We articulate our fears. We open up our hearts. We don't just go through the prayer book. We take time in our own words to examine our own hearts deeply, to really say what our fears and what our worries and what our cares are. We open them all up. Things we don't want to even admit to ourselves, we need to offer to God. This is our repentance. And here, he meets us, and he comforts us, and he forgives us, and he begins a work of transformation in us. And that's what we all want, to be healed and transformed. St. Sophroni said a similar thing. He said, stand at the edge of the abyss, bearing your shame until you can bear it no more. And then go and have a cup of tea. That is, we enter deeply into repentance, and then we rejoice that our God has saved us. I can share one last quote from Father Zacharias of Essex. Let us be humble. Let us have the certainty of our nothingness before God, that the only thing that makes us truly human is the breath that our God and Creator has breathed into us, His Spirit. This breath, His life in us, is what makes us the image and likeness of God. Let us have in mind this humble thought, let us refrain from being full of ourselves. This sense of our own nothingness produces the right conditions for us to remain in the presence of God. And the more we become empty of ourselves, the more we humble ourselves before God, the more he fills our heart with his divine grace. My brothers and sisters in Christ, let us enter deeply into repentance. To do this, it requires humility, Christ-like humility. God will help us in this. God will help us and teach us what it is to be humbled. And then we will not be nothing. We will be something. And that something will be available for God to fill with his love. And then we will be able to carry that love to a hurting world. This is the fruit of our repentance. This is the fruit of our humility. And this, my brothers and sisters, is what we are called to now, to intensify, to enter in to that deep, true humility, which 
though difficult and hard, raises us to where Christ wants us to be. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.